Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Silver Screens and Politics. I am one of your hosts, Brett Stewart. You may know me from programs like Statecraft, Geek Cinema Society, The Jukebox, or any of the other number of things I do online. And this is also hosted by Dominic Jacoki. Now, before you listen to this first episode, I wanted to take a moment to explain to you what Silver Screens is and how it has come to fruition to be in your feed today. This has been a very long process, the longest I've ever worked on a podcast. Uh, Dominic and I have been recording this now for almost nine months, and we have planned a 10-episode season because this show will have seasons, and we recorded all those episodes. They're already done. They're going to be in your feed every single week like clockwork. In fact, you can look at that schedule on our website, tiltingwindmillstudios.com, in order to follow along. And we highly encourage you to do that. We want you to watch the films that we are watching each and every week. Granted, some of them are fantastic and critically acclaimed, and some of them are god-awful. And that's just the way it is. And that's what Dominic and I set out to do, was to cover a bevy of different films and different genres and different styles that highlight political figures, predominantly presidents, in really unique ways. Because that's what Silver Screens wants to do, is it wants to combine the wonderful world of politics and the wonderful world of film and bring those together in a show, because I don't think there's anything else quite like that. And that's what Dominic and I are trying to do. So a lot of these films are going to highlight different presidents, or they're going to be presidents, uh, president adjacent, I suppose. Uh, and they're very unique films. And we again, we want you to listen along and follow, if you would like to, that list one more time, TiltingWindmillStudios.com. This first episode, we're looking at W, the biopic on George Bush. It's really a fascinating film, and Dominic and I had a great conversation. And then if you want to follow along, we'll be announcing the next week's film at the end of the episode. Stay tuned for that. And as always, please provide us feedback. Head on over to TiltingWindmillStudios.com. We want to hear from you. This is the beginning of the show. We couldn't be more excited to finally get it to you. And because of its nature of how long it's been recorded, I do want to note that when you hear outdated references or we're talking about the inauguration recently happening or or the election, keep in mind we recorded this over nine months. So a lot of the content in that regard might be a little outdated, but you know what? It shouldn't hurt the content whatsoever. In fact, we're glad that we spent so long making it because I think our work really shows for itself. Enjoy the program. This is W. Alright, the first episode of Silver Screens and Politics. It's a complete pleasure to be here. I'm Brett Stewart. Dominic, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. So we watched W, and this came out in 2008. It's an Oliver Stone film. Um, it's a, just, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt already. <laughs> I really, I, I am pretty sure Oliver Stone claims it is pronounced W, for real. W? Like W. Okay. <laughs> Great. Dahlia is a biographical take on the life of George W. Bush, one of the most controversial presidents in USA history, uh, chronologuing his wild and carefree days in college to his military service to his governorship of Texas and role in the oil business, his 2000 candidacy for president, his first turbulent four years and his 2004 reelection campaign. That is quite a run on sentence, Oliver. 
You should have had someone spice that up, but that's essentially what it is. And it doesn't actually touch on the end of his presidency. That's an important point to make. I believe the film ends shortly after he's reelected. Yeah, I think it ends with like, yeah, him being reelected or somewhere around that time. With this like weird, surreal baseball scene. But, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So this film, to lay a bit of groundwork, for those not familiar, Oliver Stone, historically as a director, and I should also preface that Dominic is... Uh, a film major, and this is something that you would like to do professionally, and I think you have wonderful insight into this because of that. Thank you. Uh, and would would it be fair to say that Oliver Stone is not known for having the most historically accurate films, even though they're about historical figures? That is correct. He has probably some of the most, I would say, liberal biopics, and that they're liberal because they kind of adapt source material to create new scenes out of things that might have happened. So not necessarily leftist, but liberal as in like creatively taking license. Oh yeah. And he's also liberal. He's also pretty leftist, right? Because we should probably mention that like everyone in this movie playing a Republican is a, for the most part, including Josh Brolin is a pronounced Democrat, which is interesting Uh, to be fair in that community. It's hard to find more conservative actors they should have brought mel on board they should have had mel gibson i mean mel gibson and who else would you get <laughs> i don't know clint eastwood could probably play uh, clint eastwood and mel father <laughs> no, okay we're gonna we're gonna go down this rabbit hole would clint eastwood be herbert walker or would he be dick cheney oh he'd be herbert walker you okay. think because he has that like eloquence to him right he doesn't look like an angry turtle right and he knows how to probably how to discipline somebody Okay, so that I'm happy you brought that up because one thing I noticed about this film is that this entire film, the way Stone created it, is very much a cats in the cradle story. Where uh, and what I mean by that, that reference for those of you not familiar, cats in the cradle stories are when it's about. Uh, it's a reference to, you know, the Harry Chapin song, Cats in the Cradle, where a child grows up and all he wants is his dad's admiration. And as he's growing up through life, his dad won't give him that admiration. And he keeps working for it, even though this dad has done nothing uh, to him to warrant him, you know, wanting that admiration. And then ultimately, far down the road, he realizes he has become his father, uh, which is something that this film does to the nth degree. It is literally just him being like, Poppy, love me. Fight me mano a mano. Fight me mano a mano in, in our in our Oval Office dream. Uh, and then Herbert Walker being like, nah, Jeb. Jeb is the future, which we now know to not be the case. Well, maybe 2020 will change things. Per, do you think Jeb? I don't think so. How old is he? I don't miss... He's probably in his late sixties, but I don't know if it's an I don't know if it's an old thing. I think it's a Jeb is a really unexciting thing. I mean, twenty twenty looks like it could be wide open. I'm yeah, just guessing that's here, true. But Maybe after four it. years of of Clinton, they'll just want a Bush again. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it worked so well the first time. We need yeah, we need to keep those those you know hierarchy and power families. That's the only way our country can function. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> but. Did you think this film centered uh, appropriately on that? Or do you think there's too much of that? What are your thoughts on that? I'm mostly confused as to why the structure is the way it is. Because it kind of alternates between his first term in office and then building up to his presidency. 
Right. There's not a lot. I mean, there are some clear delineations like, oh, this is a good place to stop. Let's go over here now. But there doesn't seem to be an overarching reason as to why to do that. Yeah, because it's not a chronological film. It does jump back and forth. Uh, well, it's it's kind of chronological in the fact that it, it switches between present and a chronological telling of everything leading up to that. And they both move forward. Right. right. They both move forward chronologically. So it's really two concurrent stories uh, taking place about 40 years apart. And uh, that for me was very interesting, mostly because Josh Brolin did not look it was like the Kevin Spacey thing in Beyond the Sea where he's playing Bobby Darren and he's 45 years old and he's playing a 17-year-old. Or it's like the guy in Frost Nixon who plays Nixon but looks nothing like Nixon. <laughs> right, which is another Oliver Stone film, by the way. No, that's Ron Howard. Oh, Ron Howard, my bad. That's old. Uh, uh, same year, actually. Really? Same year? Mm-hmm. 2008? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting part of this film to me was that Josh Brolin, I actually thought he sold W pretty well. W. Um, he looked like him in his older years, not so much the younger years, because, again, it's like a 45-year-old man playing a 19-year-old. I mean, I think he did the best with what he was given. Right. I don't think this is the strongest script or the strongest artistically of Oliver Stone's presidential movies. I don't think so. We should also mention, do you want to drop the names of the other presidential ones in case people don't know? So he also did one on JFK and one on Nixon, and those are the titles. Right. And they were both regarded as more artistically driven and more, I guess, for lack of a better word, weirder. I would agree with that. Because I've seen, I have I actually haven't seen Nixon, so we'll, I mean, not, not Nixon. Well, he did one on Nixon, right? You just said that. He did JFK and Nixon. Okay, Nixon. Uh, I'm confusing Nixon with Frost Nixon. And uh, I've seen JFK, and I and I think that's a, a very interesting film. Definitely takes its historical leniencies. But but there's a there's a point to JFK. Right, there is. And that's what I've always liked about Oliver Stone's films. My favorite Oliver Stone film is probably The Doors. Mine as well. Right on. And I, and I love it because... It takes a lot of creative license, but it does it in a way to better flesh out an understanding of what of why Jim Morrison was doing what he was doing and kind of his inner psyche and thoughts. And it's not like Jim Morrison's a president where we can just know a lot of things about him, like through public record. Exactly. Especially because he died so young, whereas we have so much on George Bush. Uh, And that, I think, is a very interesting part of this film because Stone has been criticized, obviously, uh, for being very harsh on George W. on this film, I would. I think this film. I don't think it's quite fair to George. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put that out there. I think he gave a pretty light pass to George, honestly. Really? Yeah. Why is that? It doesn't really delve into like the most hard hitting points of his presidency at all. Like 9/11. Well, um, Katrina. Okay, Katrina. But Katrina would have been after. After. Well, right. I wish he would have focused on more after the second election. Because I think that's, that's when the, it really went downhill. Yeah, that's where the meat is. Sure. That's like the denouement of like, Poppy, please respect me, but everything <laughs> is going wrong. Right. So yeah, that's, like, that's like the thing. Nothing really happens to him. Like things, like things go wrong, but nothing really bad happens. And it never shows you any of those things happening. It just does cut scenes to the, I mean, it just cuts to the end of stuff, right? Like, like you have a scene at the beginning where he's in the kitchen talking to you know barbara and and herbert and he's like i'm gonna run for governor and they're like no you're gonna lose you're just gonna over and you're gonna attempt to overshadow jeb and he's like no i'm gonna run this year and then the next scene is him 
being inaugurated as governor and it doesn't give you anything in between and kind of the same for the campaign trail in that regard for the most part which i found interesting about this film is that it just kind of does these really abrupt jump cut jump cuts right and that's part of the nature of like the two stories is that you have to kind of give up some details to get the other part of the story which is why again i don't know why he did it this way yeah because you're skipping over so much that is important to understanding who he is that it's kind of incomplete in that way do you think if this film came out in 2008 as a critical analysis of the George Bush presidency on the tail end of it, it will probably would have been more effective to include the majority of his second term because that you like you said, it did have Katrina. It did have his uh, approval numbers, you know, going down the drain. It didn't have you. Mean. Uh, well, his approval numbers went down, but it wasn't really a big deal. Really? George Bush was not a liked president. No, I mean, in the movie. In the movie. Oh, right. Right. Uh, but they didn't address any of that. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and you look at all these, you know, the turn from the Bush conservative era to Obama, which is what was happening around the time of this film coming out. And it doesn't choose to f- focus on any of that. It only focuses on about, you know, mid 2004 is, is the, the end point. Uh, and it shows that things are potentially going downhill for him. Uh, especially in the final scenes when he is realizing that there are no WMDs. And that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Do you think... All right, let's talk about George Bush as a person and then George Bush fictionalized in this film. Can I just say one thing real quick? Yeah, of course. I wanted to bring up. I am interested in the fact that originally it was supposed to be Christian Bale that was playing W. Yeah, and they did weeks of prosthetics on him. And then they were not good. I think that was the, that was the point is that they weren't they weren't good and he dropped out of it and right. then they had to fill the role and they put Josh Brolin in. And I'm just so curious what that would have been like. Yeah, and they filmed that. This was one of the few films where they actually filmed it chrono- chronologically, at least in terms of the way the film was executed, mm-hmm. because he had to lose a lot of weight to be a young George, right. and then he had to gain weight really quickly as George got older. That seems like a Christian Bale thing to do. Yeah, Christian Bale would do that, uh, and he didn't get an Oscar nod for this, did he? I don't think so. Typically, when you do the weight loss thing, <laughs> that's the Oscar nod. Uh, but anyway, you were saying. Yeah. Uh, so what I was, what was I saying? Great podcasting here, everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. What I was saying is that in the film, when everything is happening around George, it seems very clear that people around him are making decisions for him, and he is aligning with the cattle. You know, the cattle herd, because primarily Chinese, uh, at least in this film. And then obviously, you know, you have people uh, who are who are I, w- I want to say they're perpetuating his idea that there might be WMDs. And then you have people like uh, Jeffrey Wright, who plays Colin Powell and Colin Powell the entire time is like, no. This Don't is, do it. This is no bueno. And everyone in the room was like, oh, that's just you and your military talk. <laughs> Wasn't Condi Rice also kind of saying the same thing? Yeah, you can tell she's very <clears throat> reserved. The, the woman who plays Condoleezza Rice, who is uh, Thandi Newton. I thought it was kind of like an impression and not a real character. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I got the voice that kind of sounds like Condoleezza Rice, but it doesn't really um, 
come across as kind of laser rice. Right. And you can tell she's always just like slightly uncomfortable by being around Pre- President Bush. Like when they're walking through the fields and in like his oh, down in like his Texas ranch. That was a very weird scene. That's such a bizarre scenes. scene. Like they don't even establish where it is. It's just fields. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's in his ranch in Texas. I could be wrong. Maybe it's like because it didn't look like Camp, you know, Camp David. But yeah, they're just wandering and he's like, oh, I guess we're going the wrong way. And everything Bush. And this is where I take issue with the film is that a lot of Bush's the writing of George Bush in this film is a character of Bush to the end to like to the extreme. But everything he says is so bushy. But Josh Brolin does do a, a good attempt at like bringing it back toward as a like a, toward a human character. He does, especially with the you know cats in the cradle, poppy love me thing. Right. So it's like it's a caricature, but filtered through someone who really wants to appear like he's George Bush. Right. Right. So I guess my original question was: in the film, you have a lot of these people around him, uh, and they seem to be taking control of the situations, and he's letting it happen, which perhaps might be an interesting analysis of the of the of w's presidency do you think that bush genuinely thought there were wnds because in this film the portrayal of him it seems like he did i think that i don't i don't know if he thought there really were there he probably heard like the like whatever was coming out about it and like oh we should go check that out whether he right. actually believed it i don't know it really matters because it's more of a matter of we have to investigate this. Because you have people around him. You have people like Cheney. You have people like Donald Rumsfeld who are very much pushing him on this. And you can tell it's because they have ulterior motives. Right. They are saying there are WNDs. You as the president need to protect us from this. And that hits on a personal note with him because of his run-ins with it, his father's run-ins with, with Saddam. I think that um, was more of his motivation than actually whether or not. Right. Finish Poppy's job, you know, kill Saddam. <laughs> oh, my God. That whole explanation for his name is just like, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, kill Saddam. So, uh, yeah. And that kind of fuels that Cats in the Cradle thing even further because it seems like he's somewhat blinded by, you know, people are saying there are WNDs. He's saying, great, I can finish what my dad started uh, in the Middle East with Saddam Hussein. But then you have scenes in the, in the, uh, you know, in the control room or not the control room, the, uh, what is, what is the room they all, the situation room, situation room, situation room. room. Yeah. Yeah. Like the war room where Cheney just straight up like gets up in front of everybody and he's like, look at that oil. Mmm. Tasty. Richard Dreyfuss uh, doing a really good Dick Cheney. He does a really good Dick Cheney, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, there were mixed reviews of this film when it came out right mm-hmm. now it has like a 60 percent on rotten tomatoes or something but one thing i noticed throughout the majority of them including people like roger ebert was that the performances are very well done except for when they criticize them as like impressions except when they're kind of caricature yeah uh which which cheney can kind of get at times uh but i found that interesting because that shows that bush or at least this interpretation of Bush, he doesn't have the power in his presidency to take control of situations or fully understand what is happening within them. And that's what Oliver is kind of portraying. Is that because of his character as a person? Like, he can't fully grasp it? Is that what he's getting at, you think? I think Oliver Stone was playing up the folksy thing. Because, yeah, George Bush comes across as very, very layman, very folksy. Uh, and I think 
Oliver Stone exploited that to try to push home like the he has no idea what he's doing. He's really clueless. And I, I do genuinely believe that George W. Bush is a smart man. And I think he knows what's going on. I just also think he knows how to talk to, you know, Rust Belt, like low income voters. And he's really good at doing that. He's very folksy. Don't forget. Wasn't he also like a clown at some point? And he was also a cheerleader. So he right. knows how to like project a persona that's really happy and cheerful sure. on, on top of everything else. Like when he's going to uh, Iraq war victims and giving them t-shirts and talking to them in Spanish. <laughs> like in this film, there's a t-shirt for him when he wakes up. The guy's face is just completely... He, doesn't, he does not care about that t-shirt. Uh, or uh, well, I'm going to go running with you and they're going to be faster legs than the ones you had before. <laughs> Can we talk about the, um, the scene where he shows his dad his... The, like the campaign ad he mocked up for him yes sure and it's just like I, I don't even remember like what was it exactly can you explain it the campaign ad are you talking for his dad's campaign yeah, yeah. wasn't it like it wasn't it a more hard-hitting ad on um uh wasn't it a more aggressive ad and his dad didn't want to run an aggressive ad right but it's like that was a moment where he kind of took control of something as like the leader of his dad's campaign right and actually was doing something, which I was surprised by because most of the movie, he doesn't do things. He is told what to do. Which is ironic because in the early years of this, especially when he's just deciding he wants to run for president, when he's become governor, his whole shtick is, I only listen to one father and it's the one up above. Uh, and even then, the whole ideas of him becoming governor seem almost like spur of the moment decisions that he sticks to. Right. Whereas this campaign ad was like a dedicated like attempt at something yeah father because you can tell he wants to be a feisty politician you know when 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 hw loses to clinton in that scene and he leaves and he goes out in the hall with uh with laura you know he he attacks his dad pretty viciously on being essentially a you know a, a patsy a, a, a you know a clown that just can't stand up for himself again young young against young charismatic bill clinton and if his dad had listened to him they would have demolished bill clinton i don't know about that but i mean he did win twice technically clinton did no well clinton and bush jr yes that's true uh do you think this film made a conscious decision to not focus on 9-11 for a reason I, maybe because Oliver Stone already did a 9-11 movie by that point. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. He did, what was it? Uh, World Trade Center. Yeah. With Nick Cage. I really... See, this is this is my problem with the movie is that there's it tries to give the dual focus of his presidency, his early life, but the early life wins out because they actually talk about the major events in his early life. Right. Whereas the presidency it's mostly just the wmds and the oil and the war room stuff yeah i i did a little bit of fact checking after we were done watching and i found a couple things interesting when this film came out there was some really obscure fact checking for example people wanted to know whether or not he had actually slammed his car into the garage after laura told him very frankly that he was not delivering his speech the way he needed to he was not presenting himself the way he should right and apparently that did happen. He genuinely drove his car into a garage when she told him that his speech was terrible. Uh, also, apparently, uh, at least what Oliver Stone says, is that upon doing detailed research, 
they did discover that Cats is indeed his favorite musical, and later in real life he did laud Cats, so maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. I think that's hilarious. That's one of the things that was fact-checked. But he also never interviewed the Bushes, I believe. Is that right? No, I don't think he did. Which I kind of wish he did, just to get that perspective. Do you think they would have talked to him? He could have tried. Right. Well, yeah, as a, as, I mean, as a journalist, I know for a fact that it looks a whole lot better to say did not respond for comment than never reached out for comment. Because I'm sure there was some kind of insight, even if it was like subtle, that he could have put into the movie if he had like just that basic, even if it's like a non-response. See, maybe none of the Bush hierarchy would have talked to him, but if he had gone to Billy Bush and just been like, <laughs> hey, say that. let's sit down and talk about your cousins. <laughs> uh, he seems like a pretty open guy. Yeah, he does seem like a pretty open guy. You can get a mic on him and he'll say all, all sorts of great things. Uh, so that would be great. <laughs> I'd be so happy. I wish Billy Bush was in this movie. Can I say my my what I think is the largest issue with this movie? Yeah. I think it was a mistake to release it in 2008. Why is that? It's kind of rushed because of it. Where, like I was saying, it focuses on certain things that we... We, we should focus on, but it doesn't focus on enough things. That probably would have taken time to film, time to really get right. And maybe also time to digest socially, because this comes out right at the tail end of a presidency. Uh, maybe it makes... And we're seeing that now. We saw we, we have two, two Barack Obama films coming out this year, one of which already has come out, Southside with You and Barry. I think the better equivalent would be a Michael Moore's Trump film. Oh, uh, uh, Trump Town or Trump Land, Trump Land, the one it's basically a live show filmed that he put out in select theaters just over the last couple of weeks. Right. Yes. Just just to get in before the election, which was I think this was an October release W just for the same reason. Oh, was it an October surprise, a fictional October surprise? I think so. I wonder if it had not Can you check the date real quick? Yeah, let's check the date on it. Um, But would that would. McCain's in the movie once. <laughs> Did you like that scene where they like it was like they a, cropped some, in all the state of yeah, the union Senate reading? Stuff? It, it was like just you saw Hillary Clinton, you saw John Kerry, you saw McCain. Right, right. I I didn't appreciate that. Uh, it came out October seventeenth, two thousand eight, and uh, didn't do too hot because its its gross was about four hundred thousand dollars over its budget, and given. Given typically with a budget, you add about at least half to marketing. Yeah. Uh, this film did not do well, which is worth pointing out because typically Oliver Stone does a little bit better with his films. And but, that's not even counting the percentage you take for the theater grosses. Right. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, I love that Colin Hanks is in this movie. I love Colin Hanks. Oh, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. Hey, Colin Hanks. He looks and sounds just like his dad. Yes. For those not familiar, this is Tom Hanks' son. They're, like, identical. It's beautiful. If Tom Hanks were to play a president, who would he play? If Tom Hanks... That's a really good question. Um, Has he played a president? I don't know. I don't think so. If Tom Hanks played a... Who do you think he'd play? He probably... I mean... I want Teddy. Teddy. I think... I mean, it would be another another situation of, like, he wouldn't look anything like him. I think he could do a good Truman. That'd be interesting. That'd be really interesting. I love Tom Hanks. Okay. Uh, by the way, one thing I did 
one person I did enjoy in this film because I really do like her as an actress and I was surprised to see her in this um, was uh, the woman who played Laura Bush which was uh, I'm blanking on the name right Elizabeth now, Banks even though I really enjoy her Elizabeth Banks I, I really uh, she delights me as an actress she's been in some great stuff and uh, more recently her portrayal of uh, Brian Wilson's wife in Love and Mercy is phenomenal. Um, just unrelated. It's also worth pointing out that W came out the same year as my favorite Elizabeth Banks movie, Zack and Mary Make a Porno. <laughs> right on. Uh, and she, yeah, and she's, you know, she was in 30 Rock and all sorts of other great stuff. And I thought she did a pretty good Laura, albeit a very, I think, let's, like, there, there are two different types of first ladies, right? Uh, I've always loved a scene in the very last episode of the West Wing when the next president's moving in and and the new chief of staff to the first lady because the first lady also has a chief of staff says what kind of first lady do you want to be do you want to be uh Hillary Clinton or do you want to be uh you know a Laura Bush um well not a not a Laura Bush at that point uh, well, I guess, yeah, that would have been like 2006 or something like that. But yeah, but you, those are two different examples, right? You could argue that Michelle Obama is very much more a Hillary Clinton. And I know right. that, that those are, those are two Democrats and a Republican, but, uh, and that's not intentional, but you do have very different styles of first lady. You mm-hmm. have the traditional, the, uh, maybe like they have like one cause they stick on. They don't say a lot. They're kind of just like, a, 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 you know, they're. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say accessory to the president because that's so disrespectful. They just stay in the background because they don't. Right, want to be but in the, the president forefront. almost treats them that way to an extent. Uh, and then you have ones that are much more outgoing. You have, and that's not to say one is worse than the other, but they are two different styles of holding that office, if you will. Even though it's not an office, well, I guess it is an office. Uh, and you have some, you know, like Michelle Obama's been much more outspoken, uh, very active outside of her husband's administration. Hillary Clinton was like that. Uh, to an extent, Barbara Bush was like that. Not Barbara Bush, sorry. Um, Nancy Reagan, definitely not Barbara Bush. You think you could argue that Laura stayed in the background because she was kind of a Democrat, as the movie kind of implies? That Yeah, they, they kind of do apply. Like, like a couple <coughs> times in the film, she's literally in the background. And then Herbert turns to her and he's like, what do you think of this? And she's like... W knows what I think of this and just like scoots backward. <laughs> like the first scene of W and her, she basically says, yo, I'm a Democrat. I wouldn't vote for you, but maybe I would vote for you because you're kind of cute. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, but I actually think that portrayal is rather apt because that was very much how Laura came off to the American public was very, very soft, uh, very sincere, very, uh, did not get in the way of anything, you know, had her little causes and had things that were important to her, but she didn't ruffle any feathers. And I think Elizabeth Banks portrayed that pretty well. Uh, I'm surprised there wasn't any strife in their relationship. I don't know if there was in real life. You don't think the car going to the garage door was strife? No, because like literally three seconds later, even though he's just slammed the car into the garage door, he's like, I've never dated anyone like you, Laura. And she's all like, mm, you know that. And then they start making out on the doorstep. So like, no, it's not. And I guess it isn't like the relationship with his parents. I've, I right. That scene where he comes into the house drunk and wants to fight his dad. Yeah. And Ellen, and Ellen Burstyn is Barbara. She's, I think Ellen Burstyn's amazing. Her portrayal as Barbara is just kind of like the matriarch of like China. 
yeah down right uh and i thought that was a great that was very interesting how they very much aligned jeb is to herber herbert herber <laughs> jeb is to herbert what uh george was to barbara and i found that fascinating yeah because i've never really looked at it that way because and i see it i totally do uh herbert walker bush is a very I don't want to say subdued, but he is that very traditionally soft-spoken politician, which Jeb is, arguably yeah. to, not arguably, most certainly to Jeb's detriment this year. Uh, and George is more outspoken. He's more aggressive. So, yeah. uh, is there anything else in this film that you wanted to point out that you found particularly intriguing or raise any flags as to their accuracy? Anything like that? I'm interested in the baseball metaphor that is throughout the film like the whole like that he owns does it the rangers he owns for a while right that's kind of a point later on in this movie where he buys the team and he revamps it i guess yeah he did but for all the metaphors like the surreal scenes of him catching balls and whatnot <laughs> yeah especially the fun like the end scene is literally like him watching a baseball game while just like shoving pretzels into his mouth and then daydreaming about catching a baseball and then this movie ends they really didn't delve enough into the whole baseball thing for that no. to be supported no the ending is just abrupt like it's like oh we've seen this scene a couple times so therefore it's like oh it's fitting but it's not because baseball is apparently really important to him and we don't get that yeah and i had to rewind the ending a couple times because i was watching and i'm like wait does that that's the last scene like because it just didn't have any context at all uh and there wasn't even any like intensity to it i mean he, he i mean yeah he had a weird press conference where he couldn't really find his footing on what he's done poorly and done what he's done well but then he just walks upstairs and pouts in front of a baseball game and then and the he chokes ends. on a pretzel didn't he do that earlier, though? Was that the earlier? That was earlier. That's not the final scene. Oh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that scene too. I wish I would go. I wish that was the final scene. It's like him going upstairs after that press conference, choking on a pretzel, and then the movie ends with him daydreaming on the floor. That yeah, would have been great. That would have been a great ending. That would be a better ending. That'd be because like it made more sense and it'd be more emotional. It's like oh, that's that's oh, he's choking. <laughs> I wish that was the ending. That'd be great. Uh, that's such a weird scene, isn't it? Yeah, it's like. Do you, is there a story about him choking at a pretzel? I feel like there might have been. I don't know. I'm gonna. By by the way, I'm happy they they implemented Miss China into this film because that did happen. Uh, an Asian reporter in the press corps, and he just looked at. He's like, "Hey, Miss China." Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna look this up. Uh, why don't you continue talking about something relevant while I type? Well, the the whole choking scene is kind of an anomaly because it kind of just happens, and he's. Just watching a ball game and then he has pretzel all of a sudden he's choking and he's like is he gonna go to the hospital is he gonna like like pass out january like, 14th 2002 los angeles time <laughs> i love this headline choking on pretzel bush faints briefly what a great wow. headline <laughs> all right let's see what we got here president bush briefly lost consciousness sunday after he choked on a pretzel while watching a football game on television in his living quarters after fainting the president tumbled to the floor from a couch bruising his lower lip lip and suffering an abrasion the size of a half dollar on his left cheek uh he is recovering quickly there is no reason to find that he would happen this would happen again Blah, 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 blah. Bush is 55 and in good health. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah, that legitimately happened. 
I mean, I guess that's no Herbert Walker vomiting on a minister, but you know that what that was George W. that vomited. No, it was H W. Are you sure? Yes. I thought George W. vomited on someone. No, there's a video of H W. doing it. Really? Yeah. Oh, you're right. It is H W. I'm sorry. That was him vomiting uh, on the Prime Minister of Japan. Yep. Yeah, that's not a great video. <laughs> it's like, I see the picture there. It looks really sensational, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> I like how Barbara comes up behind him and just like just like throws the the napkin in his face and Secret Service drags him off. Uh, that's Barbara just taking control. The man of the house. I guess you know the cameras don't want to see that. No, that was not good. According to the USA Today, the incident was one of the quote twenty five most memorable public meltdowns that had us talking and laughing or cringing over the po- over the past quarter century. That was in ninety two, so maybe it was like a detriment to his campaign. Perhaps you're right. I I think I yeah. I mean, a lot of things were detriment to HW's presidential campaign. Imagine Oliver Stone focusing on like, a scene like that of HW vomited on the Prime Minister of Japan. What do we do about this? Yeah, not not a, not a good look. I wish they. I when then, did when did when did W get the shoe thrown at him? That's that was my, that was late. That was like that was late, right? Yeah. That was like 2006, 2007. That was one of my favorite W moments. Was when someone literally took their shoe off and threw it at him. And he ducked. He ducked. Yeah, he had a, he had a great one liner after it though. He recovered. Uh, you gotta give gotta give W that. He's got that folksy vibe to him. You know, uh, you throw you throw boot at Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, and she'll just vaporize you with lasers or something. <laughs> Just like the Superman, like like r- like laser eyes, just yeah. red beams come out. Like, I'm astounded. Just eight years, how almost normal W seems. Right. It's only been eight years, and at the time, he had a very low approval ratings. He was seen people largely hated as kind him. of an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, and people still hate him. Like, like at least liberals still hate him. They look upon well, I. Liberals did hate him until Trump came along because now Clinton is going around talking about the grand old days of the GOP during the Bush administration. Because that's all they got. Right. Uh, so, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. In fact, I find that very interesting that if we look, if we compare that to this election, these are days that even the Democrats look, look, ooh, I spilled water on recording equipment. All of the best podcasts are interrupted by one of the co-hosts spilling a drink over uh, <laughs> the mixing board. But we're back. Uh, we're going to start to wrap this up a little bit. But what were we talking about? I don't remember. This is podcasting truly at its finest. One thing I'd like to bring up, though, since we have some free time now. Yeah. I'd like to, <clears throat> sorry. I'd like to point out the marketing versus what the DVD cover has. Okay. I believe the marketing sort of position this movie is more of a comedic take because right playing up the buffoonery of w like if you look at the back of the dvd case there's um a picture of w petting his dogs on the white house lawn yeah i made the comment that it looks like the back of dave that is i'm pretty sure on the back of the dvd case of dave it's him rolling around in the lawn with dogs and it's like it's kind of a comedic picture it's like why is he petting his dogs on the lawn (laughs) And I feel I if I remember the trailers, I think they were kind of focusing on his folksy interpretation of W. Josh Brolin's. 
But right. Miss China, you know, uh, fool me once and, and shame on 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 you, and fool me twice and can't get fooled again. Can't get fooled again. But like he's writing the damn Who song. <laughs> <laughs> but all the quotes on the on the DVD case are like, oh, fascinating. This film is extraordinary in terms of a portrait of a man who became president. It is arguably the best film ever made by Harry Knowles. Fascinating is by Roger Ebert. Wow. Josh Rowland is truly electrifying. Peter Travers. Wow, there's some love there. Uh, of course, it, of of course, of course, when you have a quote on a DVD case that says "fascinating," it could have said "fascinatingly awful." With four stars by Roger Ebert. Oh wow! Okay, there you go. Yeah, Ro- Roger Ebert. I read his review of it when we, I was doing show prep, and he was particularly complimentary again of the performances. Uh, so, is this a film that we would recommend people going back and taking a look at? I think just for like the Halcyon days of 2008. The good old days. <laughs> Back when it wasn't... It was kind of crazy, but not this crazy. Right. This is so tame in comparison. Yeah. Um, You're good. Okay. Like, yeah. It, 2008 was kind of a weird year for elections. Yeah. Because it was historic. And, right. But this is just... This year was just off the rails. Yeah, it was. It's. I would recommend it. I think it's a great look back on W. Ultimately, a flawed version of his presidency that is chock full of 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 tropey caricatures. That is clearly because you know Stone is very liberal. He hired very liberal people to make this film with him. He's clearly making a statement with his filmmaking. Uh, that is a harsh criticism of, of the Bush presidency. Even the way he filmed it, like there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are just the way they're filmed are so unflattering to Bush as a person. Like the, when he meets uh, Laura for the first time and he's just like chewing open with his mouth and the camera cuts in really close to him. Oh, you know what he's chewing in his mouth. And I actually read that in the anal- analysis of this film where they said a lot of the way, a lot of the shots that stone chose for this film again are very unflattering of bush so that's important to keep in mind with any oliver stone film but i do think it's a compelling watch especially looking back on the good old days of politics when they when they weren't so hectic i will say i will say that um if you don't like the weirdness of jfk and uh, nixon that this might be more conventional for you i'd agree with that so a little shorter too. It's only about two hours long. Right, but if you want something that delves deeper into a presidency, I would check out those other two films. I agree, and that is going to do it for this episode of Silver Screens and Politics. You can of course find us over on TiltingWindmillStudios.com, and we will have all of our social media in the show notes because of course that's being ironed out right now. We are on week one, but by the time this comes out, all that's going to be in the show notes ready to go dominic where can people find you online what are you up to uh you can find me on on twitter at d-a-c-i-c-h-o-c-k-i right on that'll be in the show notes my name is brett david stewart you can find me on brettdavidstewart.com and of course over on twitter at rivers rubin that is rivers r-i-v-e-r-s rubin r-u-b-i-n connect with me there i would love to talk with you that's where i'm most active dominic what are we going to be watching next week death of a president which is brief rundown Death of a President is the fictional um, story of an assassination of George W. Bush. Yeah, so we, we did this intentionally. We're gonna we're gonna follow this up very much as a as a fictional follow up to this film. And it was also released during his presidency. So there you go. <laughs> 
Damn. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, so people want to go ahead and watch along with us. That's most certainly encouraged. If you want to get a hold of us, you can do that over on TiltingWindmillStudios.com. There's a contact page there, or you can connect with us on either of the social media platforms, Twitter or Facebook, or furthermore, you can go ahead, send us an old-fashioned email that is silverscreens at TiltingWindmillStudios.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the program, this is going to keep becoming uh, a part of your feed. Hopefully every single week, we're very excited about about that. We love this show. We want to succeed. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you could leave some feedback about the show, leave a rating. We would so appreciate that. But until then, we'll see you next week with Death of a President. My name is Brett Stewart. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you then. 